speaking to people all around uh, America and Canada, um, men and women, um, but specifically tonight I'm dealing with the Midrashat Rahal angle, uh, which is of course a women's school. I've been teaching, I, I've got various different histories. Uh, I'm obviously, my accent, as you can tell, I am not American. I am originally from England. Uh, for many years I was a corporate lawyer in London, uh, giving cheering more on, on, the st- on the side in my spare time, at the weekends, whatever. Um, eventually, at a certain point, I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, I gave up that. Uh, and I went to Israel, and from that point, from 2002 onwards, I've been teaching various people in different places, specifically in Midrash at Rachel, uh, which is a school designed specifically for women who uh, are usually postgraduates. We have a few people in the middle of university, but it's not a post-high school program. It's postgraduates, young professionals, uh, people who usually have grown up without a classical Jewish high school elementary education, uh, people who are sophisticated thinkers in their secular life and their working professional life, but feel for all sorts of reasons that maybe their Jewish skills and their Jewish learning uh, need to catch up a little bit with that. Uh, and therefore, we are running a program. It's not the only program. There are many wonderful programs around. It's not that many. There are a few. But it's one of the ones that are around. Uh, and our specific focus is this. We want to try and help people from very beginner level, and in fact we have an entirely introductory program which is called Pathways Plus, which runs through the year, also twins with internships in Israel, so there's that, and there's Midrash Rechel, so it doesn't really matter where you are in terms of introductory or beginner, all the way up to a more advanced program. We're trying to help women to A, gain skills in learning, not just listen to inspirational shirim, which is important, but actually gain independent learning skills, there's a strong emphasis on that, so that you can have a relationship with the text themselves, which is very important as far as you can. And also to try and learn in a broader intellectual framework with a number of different hashkafic approaches. If you don't know what that means exactly, then that can be discussed on a one-on-one basis. Um, but it's, it's a slightly different approach, which I think for many people is very refreshing, exciting, uh, and, and an environment in which you can really think and grow, uh, and there's no contrast between the two. There are many girls who have been to Midrash Rachel, they can describe the school much better than I can, uh, and therefore speak to them about it. As Jackie said, and I won't delay any further this year, I am here all night. Anyone who wants to speak to me uh, is very welcome to do so. I really am happy to meet one-on-one. Uh, and therefore, if, if you want to do that, at the end of the year, please come up to me. We'll make a list of people, whatever. And, uh, and really, I, I don't want to detain you, but I'm happy to be there as much as you want me to be. So that's my little introduction. So thank you again for inviting me. And this is going to have to be one between two, because we've got a lot of people here. Baruch Hashem, which is great. So actually, why don't you pass these around? Why should I? I'll have to give some over here. I need one for myself, that's all. Yeah, give me a couple more. And I'll put them over this side. Okay, take part one between two. One between two. You won't need to refer to it the whole time, but I like to have a source sheet because you can get your hands on something which is real. So, Jackie actually thought of the title. I thought it was a great title. We went through various different perspectives and options. But I think Unreasonable Parents, a Torah perspective, um, sums it up very well. Um, The Torah has a lot to say about parents. Uh, Everybody has, at some stage or other, people that brought them into this world. Uh, Hopefully, people's parents are alive until 120 years, sometimes, not always. But at some point, you were brought into the world by somebody, and you have a relationship with that somebody. And those relationships are always tense. You only need to open any book of history, and you only need to open the Chumash or the Torah to see that the relationships between the parents and the children are often very difficult. Um, all of the greats had difficult situations with their children. Abraham had difficult children. Isaac had difficult children. Jacob had no end of problems with his children. Moses had difficult children. Aaron had two very difficult children. King David had three very difficult children. Um, Everybody and each of those children felt they had difficult parents. So there is no shortage of material to work with. And what I want to show you tonight, and this is not going to answer every specific question. And by the way, I'm not dealing with any specific questions if someone has a specific issue. I'll tell you what, what happens to me. This is a true story. I once gave a share, not on this topic, on something completely unrelated. And an older woman came up to me at the end of the share. She must have been in her early 60s and said to me, do I have to sh- shiver if my mother dies and she adopted me? So I said to her, like, you know, I'm not answering that question until you give me a bit of context, like, what's going on here? And she said to me, um, I just sat shiver for my sister. My older sister died. 
and we have a very elderly mother, aged 95, and somebody came up to me at the shiver for my sister, while my mother was sitting there, produced a photograph. You know, people come with photographs from the old days, and they talk about the old times at shiver. She produced a photograph of my mother with a date on it, taken three weeks before I was born, and my mother was not pregnant. And this was the first I ever heard of it. And I went up to my mother, she said, and confronted her and said, what's all this? She says, oh, I thought you'd never find out you're adopted. Oh, and so was your sister that we just sat shiver before. She was not your real sister either. And all that kind of stuff. So you, you never know what situations people have. Uh, and therefore, I'm not speaking to anyone's individual parental <laughs> situations. Lots of people have interesting and very complex arrangements. So I'm certainly not doing that. If you want to talk to me afterwards, again, by all means. I'm dealing with a general issue. Um, and I want to show you that the Torah sources themselves give us an angle on how to deal with the concept of unreasonable parents um, and hopefully help us find some answers as well. Now, before we get into the halachic side, the Jewish law side, which is important, there are two initial general philosophical comments I want to make about parents. Have a look here at number one. Number one is a quote from the Torah, on last week's <laughs> parsha that we read, the Torah reading of the week. The Jewish people went from Egypt... I'm sure everybody knows. And they went to Harasina. They went to Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. On the way, they received a couple of mitzvot, a couple of commandments in a place called Marah. Marah, we're going into the whole details. There were waters there. They couldn't drink them. They were bitter. They made them sweet again. And then God gave them a mitzvah. And have a look, please, at the last line of number one. Second line, number one, the end. It says, Hashem. Moses cried out to God. Hashem God showed him a tree. He threw it in the water. The water was sweet. Very nice. The last seven words are important. If you can't read Hebrew, that's fine. I'll just translate them. Sham sam There, he gave them a chok and a mishpat. Chok and mishpat are the words for laws, different kinds of laws. Vesham nisam, he tested them. What does it mean, a chok, and what does it mean, a mishpat? Two different kinds of law. What is the difference in a chok and a mishpat? So if you look there in source number two, the rabbis explain here, what is the chok and what is the mishpat? So a chok is Shabbat. He gave them the laws of Shabbat. This was before Sinai. And Mishpat is Kibbut Ava'in, is honouring parents. We'll translate the word Kibbut properly. It doesn't really mean honouring. We'll see what it means in a minute. So he gave them these two laws. One of them was a Chok and one of them was a Mishpat. What is the difference between a Chok and a Mishpat? Usually, there's a classic definition that people think of the difference between a Chok and a Mishpat. Anyone know? Something that people say. Yes, tell me. Right, chokim are generally things that we don't understand, and mishpatim are things that we do understand. But that doesn't obviously fit because Shabbat is a chok. Do you not understand Shabbat? Don't understand Shabbat. Makes a lot of sense Shabbat. So what does it mean a chok? Your definition is not wrong, but it's not the entire story. So it was explained to me like this: a chok is from the word lechakek in Hebrew, which is to engrave. It's to fix something completely. A chok is a fixed rule. It doesn't change. It doesn't alter. It doesn't depend on who you are. Like the rules of kashrut. If you drop meat, uh, milk into your chicken soup, is the chicken soup still kosher? Yes or no? Depends how much. How much is the relevant amount? One sixty. If you drop a sixtieth in, and then so what if you come to me and go, hey Rabbi Manning, sixtieth is so eighteenth century. Maybe we're more kind of a twentieth now, a little bit more, or maybe an eightieth. Whatever. The answer is, I'm sorry. It's a chok. It, it's just like, the, the, you can't play around with it. It's like gravity. Gravity is like a chok equivalent. You jump off a cliff and you scream, I don't believe in gravity. Okay, I've got news for you. You know, gravity believes in you. You know, you, you can't deny it. It's, it's just what it is. It's just a bunch of rules. But a mishpat is not just a bunch of rules. A mishpat are rules, but they need to be very carefully thought through as to how they affect you and your life, and your situation. A different kind of rule. And the, the, the rabbis are coming on saying to us, the kibbutz of the aim, honoring parents, is not a chok. You can't just learn a bunch of rules and say, oh, I did it, I learned it, like the rules of Shabbat, I know how to keep Shabbat, I know how to honor my parents. No. If you do that, you'll make the following mistake, which is a true story of uh, one, of, one of my rabbanim, one of my uh, rabbis had the following issue with a boy. This boy was a, uh, he had become more religious, and his parents thought he was a bit crazy. You know, he was dressing funny, and he had strings hanging out of his pants. And, and, and every time he went to the bathroom, he talked to himself for three or four minutes afterwards, which was very strange. Think about it, objective. It's very weird behavior. Actually, I was just in parentheses when I was at university. 
when I was in a tutorial, I was, it's complicated, I didn't have any classes or lectures at university. I'm not quite sure what I did in three years, but whatever. Um, we had tutorials. We sat two people with a professor. And one of my friends there had a Mars bar, and he made a brocha on his Mars bar. And the professor just looked at him and stopped the entire meeting. Did you just talk to him? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what that looks like, he said. Yeah, kind of. What do you say to a master before you eat it? Like, and, and, so the parents, the parents thought the guy was nuts. Let's face it. But he said, "It's your life. You do whatever you want with your life." But the relationship was strained, and the guy was not happy because there was pressure and tension, as sometimes happens when a child does their own thing. So he discovers the laws of honouring parents. He goes, "Ah, it's a true story. I'm not making this up." He thinks this is brilliant. I'm going to learn these laws, I'm going to go, I'm going to do these things, and now my parents are going to realise how beautiful Torah is. Because I'm going to treat them like it says you should treat your parents, and everybody else's kids treat them like dirt, but I'm going to be, they're going to, I'm going to show them how wonderful it is. So what does he do? He reads all the details, all the details, all the rules, and he reads somewhere you should speak to your parents in a very respectful way. How is the, what is the most respectful way? So he says you should speak to them in the third person. Would father like to sit down? And he starts doing this with his parents. Would mother like a cup? Like the regular kind of New Jersey kind of regular people. You know? They don't get more regular than New Jersey, right? And, 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 and I said to him, like, that's it. Like, that's it. Why are you talking to us like, like we're, we're, we're nuts? I mean, this is, you, you, don't, don't bring us into your nonsense. Would mother like a cup of tea? And, and, and he went back to my rub and he's crying. And he said, I don't understand. What did I do wrong? He said... What you did wrong is you treated honouring parents as a chok. It's not a bunch of rules. It's your parents. How do your parents feel that they want to be respected? You can't respect your parents the way that you think they should want to be respected. You have to respect them the way that they want to be respected. And that's not always easy. And the Maharal of Prague makes this point. Very beautifully, number three. He says, Why is honouring parents called a mishpat? Called not a, not, not a rule that just has to be applied, but something has to be thought through. We've explained this, he says. For this mitzvah, you need yidia, understanding, and seichel. Seichel is common sense, something that is not very common. Okay? Meaning you have to really think it through and not just follow the rules, but follow the rules sensitively. And that's the first point I want to make about Kibbutz Abba'im. Each one of the people in this room has very different parents with very different backgrounds. And you have to think how that applies to them. It's not just a bunch of rules. That's the first point. The second point is the following. The Gemara, the Talmud, gives two interesting stories about people who honor their parents. I want you to look at the stories with me, and we'll see what we can gain from it, and then we'll look at the halakas of this particular topic. Okay, number four. One of these stories is famous. Certainly, if you went to a Jewish high school, you'd know it. But the other one is not, because they never teach the second one, which is funny. Every time I ever taught this particular source to people who went through classic Jewish education, they always knew the first story, they never knew the second story. Some people in this room might not know either, but you will know both in a minute. Okay, number four. Imashal Rabbi Tarfan. Rabbi Tarfan's mother. Rabbi Tarfan was a great rabbi from the Mishnah period, one of the authors of the Talmud, says as follows. Yarda Latayel, his mother, elderly mother, went to walk in her yard Shabbat on Shabbat. And what happened is her shoe broke. And she's standing there, a little old lady, imagine her, and she doesn't quite know what to do with her feet because she, her, her sandal's fallen off and she can't fix the shoe on Shabbat. She doesn't want to put her feet in the mud. What did he do? Rabbi Tarfan puts his hands, crawls on his hands and knees, he puts her hands under, his, under her feet. She walked on his hands until she got back to the couch, until she got back to the house. So she, he crawled on his hands and knees with his mother walking on his hands. Okay, very nice. Pamacha, it happened, it says in the, the source here. Chala, the Rebbe Tarkin got sick. The Nichnesu Chacham in the Bakra, and the rabbis came to visit him, him to see if he was okay. Amra Lehen, so the mother said to the visiting rabbis, Hidpalalu al Tarfan Bani, please daven, please pray for my son Tarfan. Why? Shuhu knowing be covered Yosemite, because he's such a wonderful son. He does such kibbutz avayim, such honoring parents like you've never imagined. So they asked her, Amru, they said to her, Ma'avid lech. So what did he do? That's so amazing. And she tells him the whole story. Amru, they said to her, no, you're wrong. Respectfully, but you're wrong. Afilo osekein elef alafim, even if he did a million times more than that, adayin lechetzi kibbutz she'amra terelohigia. He didn't even get a half. 
of what a child has to do for their parents. You think he's such a big you know, hotshot? We're not trying to do him down, but that's what you needed. If that's what you needed, of course he has to crawl on his hands and knees with you walking on his hands. Of course he has to do that. He's your son, you're the parent. He has to do that for you. That's what you need. That's what he gives you. Interesting. The next story, though, has anyone ever heard that story before? You'd heard the story before. I knew you would heard the story. <laughs> but let's see if you know the next story as well. So comes along the, uh, the Talmud, and now the third line, uh, fourth line down, it says the following. Imoshel Rabbi Yishmael, or Rabbi Yishmael's mother, also a great Talmudic genius, she came to the yeshiva one day, think of it, her son, the Rosh Yeshiva, and he, she comes in to the yeshiva, an elderly woman. Amrullahen, she said to the men in the yeshiva, the rabbis, Giru Bishmael Bani, criticize my son Yishmael, She'enu Nohig Bikavod, because he don't treat me right. Which is a very embarrassing scenario, if you think about it. The, the head of the whole organization, the mother comes in and says, My son doesn't treat me properly. But Osa Shah says, The Gemara, and it's Karkunu Pneshar was saying, the rabbis went pale. Like, what are they going to do? Amra, they said, Is it possible that Rabbi Shmel didn't treat his parents properly? So they said to her, Amrullah, they said to her, What did he do that you're so upset about? So Amra, listen to what she answers. When he comes home from the yeshiva at night, she's a Jewish mother, let's face it. My son, the Rosh Yeshiva, she thinks she worships him. She thinks he's amazing. And he was pretty amazing. He says, When he comes home from the yeshiva at night, and a boy, the Mishnah's ragli, I want to wash his feet, says the mother. Umishte mayhem, and then drink the dirty feet water. Yes, you heard it right. She wants to wash his feet and drink the water. The shabikli, and he won't let me. And I object. Why does she want to wash his feet and drink the water? And because she's very weak. That's not normal. I can assure you that's not normal behavior. Even people in the Talmudic era didn't do that. Okay? And of course he won't let her. Because he says, Mom, no, you're not drinking the dirty feet water. Said the rabbis, Amrullah said, the rabbis came up to him and said, Listen, if that's what she needs, hook for that. That's how you honor her. Let her drink the dirty feet. Ew. Have you ever heard that story before? I actually heard it from my son, believe uh, it or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. Drink the dirty feet water. Why? Because if that's what she wants, that's what she gets. Meaning, it's not like she's asking him to do something which is like halachically prohibited or is dangerous for her. It's not like she's not going to die. I know you're, everyone's germ kind of crazy these days, but okay, it's just weird. The Gemara is saying a very important thing. The Gemara is saying... If you think you have weird parents, they're not going to be more weird than Rabbi Shmuel's <laughs> That's what the Gemara is saying. And the Gemara is saying, every, the Talmud is saying, everybody has strange parents. Everybody has parents that at times do things and they think, oh, mom, dad, it's just so embarrassing. Listen, I've got a teenage daughter. There is nothing that I could do when she was 14 to 16 that wasn't deeply traumatizing. Okay? Everything. Just, just, just if I said hello to someone, oh, <laughs> like, you know, I just said hello, yeah, like, like, what's your problem? You know, you, you know exactly how that works. Now, Barakashem, my daughter is 19, I can, I can see glimpses of mature adults appearing in her behavior. Every now and then I see, whoa, a grown-up person there. I mean, oh, it's back to teenagers again. So, 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 but it's happening slowly. But, um, <clears throat> the Gemara is making an important point here, which is that at the end of the day, what your parents need is what they get. Which makes the question even more pointed. The reason I'm raising this at the beginning is, oh, come on, so sometimes they, they make unreasonable requests. And we'll see. There are many things that you do absolutely do not have to do if your parents ask. So how do you draw that line? If your parents bring home a guy and introduce him and say, Mazel <laughs> this is the guy for you. You don't have to marry him. Uh, your parents are going to be distraught and cry themselves to bed to sleep every night because you brought home some other guy that is a nice guy, but your parents don't like him, well, okay, too bad. I mean, I mean, you don't have to marry a guy because your parents introduced them. So why is it that you can do certain things that do upset your parents, but other things you can't? And that's what we really need to ask now, and we need to answer now. So that, if you like, was the first part, just these two basic initial points. Number one, that keep it up at aim, honoring parents is not just a bunch of rules. 
It's a sensitivity that has to be applied carefully and individually. And number two, the idea that basically what your parents need is what they get. And even if they're weird, okay, they're weird. You have to accept their weirdness, not wish they were someone that they're not. Okay, everyone would love to have parents just like fill in the blanks, okay? But your parents are like that. So you have to accept them for who they are. Just like your children will have to accept you for who they are. And I can assure you, you will be just as weird as your parents. <laughs> and you will even hear yourself saying the same annoying weird things that your parents said to you. And you will hear yourself in your mind saying, I can't believe I just said that. When that irritated me so much when I heard it from my parents. Guarantee it. Send me an email when that moment happens. Okay? Fine. Number five. Let's look at the basic halakhic issues. It's really not that complicated. There's just one main thing that makes the whole thing turn and will we'll hopefully make it make sense. There are basically two mitzvot. There are two commandments of honouring parents. One of them is called kavod and one of them is called yira. We'll see what that is now. Look at number five. Honour. We often say honour. It's not the right word. Kaved. What's the word kaved mean in modern Hebrew? Does anyone know? Heavy. Heavy your parents. Often kavod is translated as honour, but actually it's heavy. You see, it means your parents are a burden. There are responsibilities that you have to your parents, and they are heavy, and they weigh heavy, and you can't just throw them off. There'll be things that you have to do for your parents that will be irritating and sometimes annoying, but you have to do them. That's the first, and we'll see what they are. And the second verse, the second commandment somewhere else, uh, in the Torah later on, says number six, Ish imor ba'aviv tira'u. Each person has to have yira for their mother and father. What's yira? Fear, but it doesn't mean fear that, God forbid, a parent's going to hit the child. And by the way, if a parent is, God forbid, abusive towards a child, there's absolutely no halachic reason why the child should be taking that abuse under any circumstances. What to do about it, of course, is depending on the circumstance, but someone shouldn't be a victim. There's absolutely no halachic requirement for that, and it's not just the wrong thing to do. It doesn't mean fear of bad behavior. It means awe. And even the word awe is a bad word, because in America, everything is awesome. You know, and no one really uses the word or anymore. I didn't know what the right word is in like this is more respect in this one. Meaning we'll see treating your parents that they're not just a peer, they're not just a friend, but they're someone on a different level to you. And we'll see how that plays out. It's often difficult to translate Hebrew words into English properly. You know, you often use the words that need a whole chapter rather than a, a one word to translate it, but we're not gonna get into that now. So let's have a look at number seven. I'm not going to go through all of these sources, but the key one we'll see is number 12, and we'll look at a few in between. So the, 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 uh, the Talmud, the, all these sources are taken from different places in the Talmud. I brought you where the source is from. You can look at it afterwards by yourself if you want. Look at number seven. Tanu Rabbanam, the rabbi's taught. Ezeh Murah, what is respect? What is this yira? The Ezeh Kibud, and what is this heavy responsibility? So he explains like this. Morah, what is yira? Lo omed bim komov. Don't stand in their place. Meaning if they have a specific place, which is their place where they stand, I don't know, they're a lecturer, they're a special person, you can't be there in that place because you're not them. Lo Yoshev bin Kamos says the title, you couldn't tell sit in their chair. If they have a special chair, you can't just sit in their chair as if to say, I'm the same as you. Lo Soter Edvara, don't contradict them. Don't say no if they say yes. Velo Machrio, and don't agree with them. What does it mean don't agree with them? Sometimes agreeing with your parents is a chutzpah. Everyone knows what the word chutzpah is, right? It's an English word in America, right? Every, sometimes agreeing with parents is a chutzpah. I'll give you an example. Your parents are having an argument with someone. Your father's having an argument. Your father says no, the other guy says yes. Your father says no, the other guy says yes. And you walk in and go, listen, my father's right, and that's the end of it. Oh, now everything's okay now. Now you've walked in and said it's okay. It's a chutzpah. For you to agree with your parents like, well, like that, they're having an argument. You can't just be the one that says it's okay. Who are you to say that? Again, it's, and it doesn't mean you can never disagree with your parents. Your parents say, I think we should vote for Donald Trump. And you say, no, I do not think we should vote for Donald Trump. Okay? There's no rule that you have to agree with everything your parents say, especially if your parents would want you to have a discussion about it. Again, it's not a bunch of rules. You have to think about how it works in your family. Very few families want kids to just nod and say, yes, I'll vote for whoever you tell me to vote for. Um, I, I, I don't know if you're even interested in the elections. I'm interested in elections because we just had a big debate in England. Uh, not that I live in England anymore, but I'm interested in England. They part, there were 600,000 people uh, uh, signed a petition uh, demanding that Donald Trump be barred from entering England. 
And because of that, the Parliament in England was required to debate, they had a very serious debate about <coughs> whether Donald Trump should be barred from coming into England. Now, the Prime Minister already wow. said before this debate, he said, there is no way in the world that I will ever bar someone who is an American presidential candidate from walking to England. So you can debate all you like, but it's never going to make a difference. So they had to have the debate. So just watching the, the debate is hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. They just, like, ridiculed him, though. Okay, everybody ridicules him. It's not the point. The point is that they, they, a, a bunch of people stood up and made him out to be the biggest threat to world peace. And, and like, you know, anyway, I'm not getting into that now. It's just, it was a, a hilarious debate, which I advise you, if you have nothing else to do, for six or seven hours to watch that debate. So, fine. So you're not allowed to agree with your parents, you're not allowed to disagree with them, etc. if it's a chutzpah. Keyboard, end of the first line. What is honouring your parents? What is the heavy burden? You have to provide them with food. You have to provide them with drink. I mean, when they're older, they need you to go shopping for them. Malbish clothes. You have to buy them linen and look after them. Machnis, you have to bring them in. Moitzi, you have to take them out. And says the Gemara, all with a smile on your face, which is hard. Because especially elderly parents are difficult, unreasonable, crotchety. Say crotchety in America? All the time. All the time. (laughs) It's difficult. And, And they often make decisions that are not in their best interest. How do you do things for your elderly parents, which are basically telling them what they have to do at the same time as being a child, not a parent to them? Very, very difficult. This is a tricky thing, and I'm sure many of you have parents that are relatively young. But Be'ezrat Hashem, one day your parents will be very old. Okay? Because the alternative is less good. And when they're very old, they'll be very difficult and very demanding. And that's what the Gemara recognizes, that that's the case. I remember when my mother... Um, needed to persuade my grandfather, this is very classic, that they needed to go into sheltered accommodation. Okay? Like my grandfather was like 80 something, blind, and, and, and he said, Oh no, we don't need any of that. Oh no, we. Now, my grandfather in his mind was still 23 years old, fighting the Nazis on the beaches of France, you know what I mean? And, and he doesn't realize he's actually not like that anymore. I have to, you know this because I'm sure you've seen it with your own family. That's a very difficult thing to do. Now, the question that we need to ask is as follows. Look at number nine. Number nine is a question that is really the question I'm posing in the class, which is in the following. We've seen that what they want is what they get. Okay, I understand. So the Chazon Ish, the Chazon Ish was a very important Jewish thinker in Israel in the 1940s, 50s. He died in the 1950s. He asked the following question. If the father or the mother wants the child to behave in a certain way, and the parent is very upset, for example. If the child wants to marry a person the parents don't like. Why are you allowed to upset the parent? Like I asked before, why are you allowed to marry the man that you love, even if your parents don't like them? Says the Chazon Ish, why is not included in, the, in respect? How can that be worse than... Than, than contradicting them. Meaning, we just said, if your parents say yes, you're not allowed to say no. No, because you can't contradict your parents. Yet you're allowed to marry somebody that they don't like. Really? Which is more fundamental? It's contradicting them or marrying someone that they hate? Surely, you know, if one's prohibited, the other must be even worse. Because no, it's not true. You can marry the man that you love. Don't worry. That's not an issue of kibbutz and aim. So why is that? And let's explain why that is. And this will hopefully give us a key to answer these other circumstances. The Gemara number 10 asks a question, which is a very practical dollars and cents question. Your parents need to go into a nursing home. This is a question about kavod. We said the burden of looking after your parents when they're older. Your parents need to go into a nursing home, okay? And um, it's costing a fortune, okay? It costs, I don't know how much nursing home care costs, $5,000 a week. And your parents say, okay, we've got to go to that nursing home. But your parents are millionaires. This is the case of the Gomorrah. And they've got millions in the bank. <coughs> but they say to you, oh no, we're giving all our money away to Ma'or Manhattan to uh, you know, increase their uh, effectiveness in reaching out to the young people and teaching Torah. And we want you to pay for the nursing care because you're the child, it's your obligation. We're not spending our money, you spend your money. And the kid says, that's not fair. If, you're, if you've got millions in the bank and you need very expensive nursing care, then surely you should pay for the nursing care. No, why should I pay for the nursing care when you have millions in the bank? Good question. And the Talmud asked that question, who should pay for the nursing care? So I'm looking at number 10. Eboy Levin, they asked a question. Michelle Mi. Michelle Mi sounds like a Chinese girl that lives down the road, but that's not who she is. Okay? Michelle Mi means, 
Who has to pay? From whose money? Rabbi Yehuda Amar, Rabbi Yehuda says, Michel Ben, the child has to pay. By the way, there's no difference between sons and daughters, and there's no difference between mothers and fathers. Children and parents, it's, it's not a gender issue. The child has to pay. Rav Nassim bar Rav Nassim says, no, Mishalah, the parent has to pay. A disagreement in the Gemara. Disagreement in the Talmud. What is the halachic ruling? Orulei Rabbanon Rav Yirmeh, the rabbis ruled, commander Amalai, the view that says, Mishalah, the parents have to pay. And that indeed is the ruling in halacha. The Shulchan Aruch, which is the code of Jewish law, when the Shulchan Aruch rules on this issue, in number 11, he says, when it comes to giving the parents food, giving the parents drink, looking after them, Michel of the aim is with the parents' money. In Yeshle, if they have money. But if the parents have no money, the Yeshle men and the children have money, then the children have to pay. But in principle, the halacha is very straightforward. If your parents need extremely expensive care of whatever nature, uh, and they have money, then the first obligation is on them to pay for their own care before it comes to you. Okay, if they have no money, then you have to work out and find a way of finding the money. But if your parents have money, then they pay with their money. It's nice and straightforward. They pay for the nursing care. That's the end of that. Why is that relevant to our discussion today? Because the question now comes up as follows. And this is where we have to think of it subtly. If your parents have to use their money to pay for their kibud abeim, their looking after in a physical way, do they have to use their money, quotes and quotes, or your money when it comes to the mitzvah of yira, of respecting them, of doing what they ask, of, 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 of bowing to their requirements? Is that with your money, and we'll have to define money, or with their money? And that's the question that the Shulchan Aruch next raises, which is when it comes to kavod, again, remember two mitzvahs, when it comes to kavod, the mitzvah physically looking after your parents, it's simple, their money, if they have money. But what about yira? So look, look at this next question. Look at number 12. And this is the most important source of the whole sheet. And from this we'll open up the whole debate to practical issues. So the Shulchan Aruch, written in the 1500s, codified Jewish law, says the following. How far does it go? Respecting parents. So says the Shulchan Aruch, What if your parents want to take your money, shalot, belonging to you, and throw it in front of your face, into the Hudson River? They pick up your money. They take your car and go joyriding around Manhattan because they're having a midlife crisis or whatever. People now have quarter-life crises, apparently. Someone told me. People just have crises all the time. <laughs> but your parents are having a midlife crisis. They want to write off your car. And they want to take it in front of you. So it says the Shokhanah, what can you say to them to stop them? So the first opinion it brings is, don't upset them. They'll get across with them. Don't get angry with them. Accept it and let them do it because you're, you're the child and they're the parents and what can you do? So comes along the Shulchan Aruch and then brings another opinion and says, no, actually, we don't follow that. But there is another opinion and the following is what the halacha is. If your parents want to throw your money into the sea, okay, your money, not their money, you can stop them. You can say, no, sorry. You can't take my money and throw it away. You can't take my things and throw them in the sea. Throw them away. Why? Says the Shulchan because when it comes to kavod, physically looking after your parents, whose money do you use? Their money. Not your money. And these are the most important six words. There's bless you. There is no difference when it comes to the two mitzvot of kavod or yura. Meaning, just like kavod, the nursing home come, fees get paid with their money, and that's straightforward and that's fair. So too, says the Shulchan Aruch, when it comes to them demanding things from you, demanding behavior from you, demanding certain attitudes from you, if they're demanding that you pay with your money, they can't demand that. They can't demand. They take, can't take your things and throw them away in front of you just because they want to do that. Now, how far does that go? You had a question before? Were you putting your hands up? No, you're just sneezing. Just scratching. You're allowed to ask questions and you're allowed to sneeze as well. It's fine. You can do it. Okay? And this is now the question which we have to ask. Okay, we've established a basic principle. You have to do what your parents want you to do. They want to drink the dirty feet water? Just live with it, okay? But when your parents ask you to do something, which is giving up something fundamental of yours. It's not just another irritating thing, but it's you. They're asking somehow to take something fundamental from you. 
That you don't have to give. And the question is, what, what are those things? At what point are your parents just being weird, irritating, a little bit unreasonable, in which case you say, you know something? It's my mother, it's my father. You know, they like it when I wear the blue sweater. I wear the blue sweater. I hate the blue sweater. You know, my mother, bless her, she's a wonderful woman. She buys me ties all the time. Okay? <laughs> and she got caught at one stage. No one's recording this, are they? She never yeah. Mother, yeah. I hear it. Well, okay, don't send it to my mother. Okay? <laughs> she got caught she got caught in some kind of a kind of a loop at one stage. She kept buying me the same tie that I didn't like. Okay? <laughs> You know, she thought she said, Tell me, Tom, she the same tie. And, like, do I have to wear that tie? Of course I have to wear the tie. It's a blue tie, for crying out loud, just wear the tie. You look, so my wife goes, like, What's that? It's not relevant. You know, wear the tie, it's my mother. What am I going to say? I don't like the tie. I dropped a subtle hint. The legs, I said, I like, I said, I like yellow ties now. <laughs> she bought me some beautiful green ties in the past. I mean, she's got good, just got stuck in a little bit of like, You know, it's tie, just do it, you know? But if, if my mother, if, you, if your parents have this thing, they want you to dress like, I don't know, certain way, and it's just not who you are. It's like changes your style, and you're like, okay, that's not the blue tie, that's a whole different thing. And then, well, let me give you some examples that the halakha has brought down, and you can see if we can work out other examples as to where we draw the line. Have a look over, look over the page number three, and let's see what we're going to say. So here's a beautiful source from the Middle Ages. It was a, a response written by someone called Rabbi Yosef Kolom, okay, uh, in the 15th century. He says, he's asked the following question. There's a child who wants to marry, a, a boy who wants to marry a girl, and the parents don't like her. Okay? And the question is, can the parents object? Look what he says. Hashemistapata. You have this question, he says. Im yesh kach does the father have the power? Limchot b'yadbanot, to stop the son. Lisa isha asheich botzba to marry the woman he loves. Okay? Lefianias daiti, according to my view, says this particular rabbi in the Middle Ages, Nira it seems sheim isha hogenet lo. If she's a suitable wife, meaning not that he's found some you know crazy person that he wants to marry that uh, I don't know he met a girl on the internet who was on death row in Texas and actually he says she's a real sweetheart as everyone's <laughs> misunderstood her until now look I don't know she is but like I'm just saying it's like a regular person that is suitable it's just the parents don't like her the parents the parents have no say in the matter number one he says that even when it comes to money the rabbis all agree commander Amshahav According to the view that says the parents' money is for the nursing care. And here, he says, it's even worse. Kol shekein, all the more so, in this case. It's not about money. What's more important, your money or your happiness? Now, it's interesting because everyone today would say, oh, your happiness. Although, actually, most people would live like, like it's their money. But anyway, he, in the 14th, 15th century, he says, it's your happiness that's more important. To leave the woman you love. It gets quite poetic now. To marry a different woman that he doesn't love, how can you tell someone to marry someone they don't love? You can't do that. The parents can't demand that from the child. That's unreasonable. And at that point, the parents are asking the child to give up something fundamental with the child's money, with the child's essence. No. The child doesn't have to do it. Of course, the child has to be polite. The child has to be, you know, work out in whatever way they can. But at the end of the day, no, you don't have to. They don't have to pay for your wedding if they don't like the girl or the guy. There's no obligation on parents to pay for the wedding if they don't like the people. But they can't stop you from marrying them. That's not that's not acceptable halakhically. Similarly, um, and that's how the Shulchan Aruch rules. Looking number fifteen, these next cases I think will resonate. The parents say to the child, "I want you to break halakha. I want you to break Jewish law because I don't like it that you keep mitzvot." This is not a new thing. So uh, Shulchan Aruch says, Ben mitzvah taseh, whether it's a positive mitzvah, Ben mitzvah lo taseh, or a negative mitzvah, whichever mitzvah it is, Afilu mitzvah shal divrayim, even a rabbinic mitzvah, even a relatively lesser level mitzvah, even though it's still important, lo yishmo, you're not allowed to listen to them. Why? Because your parents can't ask you to give up your entire life in the world to come. Your parents can't ask you to compromise. Again, what you do, how you work out your mitzvah observances, is a very private thing. But 
if you really are focused on doing something and your parents are saying, we don't want you to do that as your parents, then like that's not something they can ask of you. Again, you have to go out of your way to find every possible um, you know, leniency to, to try and accommodate your parents 100%. And I've counseled many, many people on this. There are so many things that a person can do to work with their parents, to eat in the house, even if they're not kosher. You can eat this, you can eat cold, you can eat that, you can eat that. There's a million things that people can do, but at the end of the day, if the parents are saying to the child, no, we want you to break Shabbat because it offends us that you keep Shabbat, so you'll have to say politely, look, you know something? It's my choice. I have to do what I really feel is the right thing to do here. And no, no one else can tell me what mitzvahs to keep at the end of the day. And, and not even you, my parents. Um, I had a girl from Adesh Rachel who, who spoke to me recently. She said her mother calls her up every week and begs her and says to her, promise me, promise me, promise me, you'll never make Aliyah and you'll never live in Israel. And she said to her, look, mom, I'm not prepared to promise that. I'm not saying she has to make Aliyah, but the parents can't demand that she's not allowed to make Aliyah. So mitzvahs to live in Israel. Not everybody has to do it tomorrow morning, okay? But the parents can't stop her from doing that. It's not reasonable. Even though the parents, the mother's crying, you know, the whole emotional black man, oh, you're taking away my grandchildren, all that kind of... Parents don't mind playing that kind of game when they need to. <laughs> Politely, but firmly, I'm not making any promises. I must tell you, my parents, again, wonderful people, were not happy when we moved to Israel in 2002 with their grandchildren in the middle of the Intifada with buses blowing up all over the place. Okay? They weren't happy. Why should they be happy? They're right not to be happy, but we still went anyway, because that was the right thing to do, as far as I was concerned then, and looking back, Bar Hashem, I think that was definitely the right thing to do. And now they are happy, by the way. They're not happy that we're living a long way away, and they're not happy about buses blowing up, but they are mm -hmm. happy that we live in Israel, and now they come to visit all the time, etc. But it was not easy. There were lots of crying on the couch, and, and, and difficult moments, and tense. It's not just you that has the problem. You know, everybody has problems. Rabbi Shmuel has difficult problems with his mother with the feet water on. I'm sure there was lots of crying on the floor there as well. <clears throat> so it's not just your parents on the phone. Um, so, not to break halakha. Number 16. Listen to this one. This, you'll love this one. The parents have fallen out with somebody and they say, we don't speak to Uncle Harry. <laughs> what do you mean we don't speak to Uncle Harry? We don't speak to Uncle Harry. Sam, why don't we speak to Uncle Harry? <laughs> you don't know what your Uncle Harry did to your grandfather in 1953 and when the business went bankrupt. All the stories that families have. We don't, so we don't speak to that side of the family. So you can't require your child to not speak to somebody because that's against the halakha. Now, that doesn't mean you should run up to Uncle Harry, oh, Uncle Harry, in front of your parents because that's obviously insensitive. But your parents can't perpetuate a family argument through the generations, like sometimes people want to do, because, because if you want to make peace with the other side of the family, you know, you say to them, look, it's 50 years later, Uncle Harry's dead and gone. And I want to speak to my cousins. Tell me this doesn't happen. It happens. Like, and therefore your parents, again, it's unreasonable, because what are they asking you to give up? They're asking you to give up something very fundamental. It's not about a blue tie. It's about your family. Family is very important. And they can't cut bits of that out. Look at number 70. Yes. Maybe I have an interesting perspective on family, but if you have family members that you don't even know and don't, like, therefore it really can't mean that much to you, why do you put them So if it's above? not much to you, then it's not much to you. But what if it is something to you? What if but if you never met them, how could they be anything to you? Okay, so perpetuating people falling out with each other is a problem. People shouldn't be falling out with each other. It's a mitzvah <laughs> to make shalom between people. That's, there's no question about that. And if parents are being unreasonable in perpetuating that anger and, and, and machloket and, and, and difficulty and falling out and bad feelings, so that's not something that they're really entitled to ask you to do. I mean, I agree. I just don't see why that would make sense within the context of... Uh, of like seeing something from you like in a monetary way. Well, it's not in, in this of course it's not a monetary thing, but it's again an example of them asking you to give up something which they've got no right to ask you to give up. How can they have the right to ask you to have bad feeling towards other people? Well, that itself is is is, is like asking you to break Shabbat. I mean, again, you don't have to go and visit your cousins if you don't care. It's not it's not absolutely obligatory. But let's say you want to try and reach out to them. You want to try and reunite parts of the family because you can see what it does. I remember when I was a kid, 
you know, this one didn't speak to that one, this one didn't speak to that one, this great uncle fell out with that one. I remember all that. I remember watching this. You know, as kids do, you're watching every... Let me tell you something. All of my grandparents' generation that didn't speak to each other, now none of them speak to each other. Okay? Because they're all six feet underground, all of them. So nobody speaks to anybody. And now it's too late to work anything out. So it's, it's, it's a big problem. That's a big problem. And, and therefore, deal with it, deal, deal with it before, it's, before it's too late. Look at number 17. Number 17 is one which you might relate to personally. Talmud, says the Shulchan Aruch, a Talmud she'rotzeh l'alech l'makom acher, a student who wants to go to study. Shehu boteach, because the student's confident and convinced. Shehira simen bracha batamudah. They'll see success in their learning. It means a lot to them. Lifnei harav shesham, in front of the teachers there, because they've got special classes, special programs. Shulchan Aruch, 500 years ago, writes this. For Aviv and the parents, Mochebos, they know we don't want you to go. Why? Not because they're difficult, unreasonable people, but because they're worried. Because in that place, there's dangerous people that are hurting people and knifing people and blowing people up. And the parents say, no, can't you go to Monsi or somewhere? Can you go to Lakewood? There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no dangerous people in New Jersey. Yeah, there are. <laughs> That's another thing. Of course there are. But the parents don't always think that way, do they? Because they watch the news and they say, yeah, but people are blowing up Baghdad. And you say, yeah, but Dad, Baghdad is in Iraq and I want to go to Israel. And there's like 40,000 miles. Yeah, but it's all the Middle East. And I saw it on CNN. Like, but Dad, it's like... Says the Shulchan Aruch. You don't have to listen to the parents on this issue. The parents don't have to pay for your ticket. They don't have to pay for your tuition. They can say, if you want it, then you better work and earn it. But at the end of the day, they can't say, no, you can't go. Because they can't take that away from you. Shulchanach recognizes that, that your learning and your connection with, with mitzvah, mitzvah and Torah is like a very, very important personal thing. And, and the parent can't demand that you give that up. Um, and this is, by the way, a question that I get asked a lot, by, especially by my younger students, who are usually less independent. And they're coming to like post high school programs, and the parents say, you know, they, they won't let them do this, and they won't let them do that, and they don't let them do this, and they don't let them do that. And by the way, generally, I think people are more, much more tied to their parents than they used to be. Even people your age are often very connected to their parents in a way that in my generation, people like were respectful, but like, what's he got to do with my parents? Like, I, I find this a lot. I speak to people like, oh, you know, have you thought about that? I don't know. I've got to speak to my mum and dad. Twenty-seven. Like, why would you have to speak to your mum and dad? I mean, of course you should speak to your mum and dad. Let them know what you've decided. Okay. <laughs> true. Like, what, what's going on? And and people are on cell phones all the time. Like, where are you? What are you doing? How are you doing? What are you doing? Like, I, I, it's very difficult. I don't know what you do about this. Thank God my mother and father don't own a cell phone. I mean, they do, but they don't have to turn it on. It's like from the 1980s. Like. But, but, but it's, it's, it's a big problem. You know, when I went to Yeshiva when I was 21, 20 years old, whatever, so I had to walk 15 minutes down to, into central Jerusalem. I had to book an international call with the, with the international operator. I had to pay for it. And after like 30 seconds, I had just enough time to say to my mom, Hi, mom, I'm alive and I'm happy and I'll speak to you this time next week. Bye, Shabbat Shalom. And that was it. <laughs> And they knew for another week that, oh yeah, we'll wait for next week. I, I think that's a very good way of going about things. <laughs> you, try, you try to tell people that's the way to do things. So that's a difficulty you have to work with because parents are very helicopter parents. You know, they're always hovering. And, 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 and it's something that you have to, you have to deal with that. Um, but at some point you have to wean yourself off that. Uh, and it's an important point. So look, you can work out how this applies in other scenarios. At what point are your parents just being irritating, difficult, and demanding, but at the end of the day, like, what does it matter? Okay, I go out of my way, I have to do enormous things for my parents, they're my parents, etc. And at what point are they asking you to give something? Well, actually, no, this is really fundamentally me, and they're asking me to give away me, and I'm not prepared to do that, and you're not, you don't have to. And it's difficult to draw that line, and I don't know where that line is, because I don't know who your parents are. Um, and you do have to go to extreme lengths for your parents. We see this. But, but there is a limit. Parents, for example, there's a halakha that you're not allowed to call your parents by their first name. Okay? What if your parents want to be called by their first name? Your parents say to you, call us Bob and Sheila. 
<laughs> Which, if they're not called Baba Sheila, would be really weird. But they are called Baba Sheila. Okay? You call it, if they're not, I suppose it's not a problem, but, So, can you call your parents by their first name? The answer is, well, yeah, if that's what they insist on, then you can. Because at the end of the day, you can't respect, it doesn't really cost you anything, you're just really uncomfortable with it. And you can say, look, I, I'm really not comfortable with this because. I don't relate to you, Sheila, your mum, yeah? And, and, you know, can, I, can you at least call you mummy Sheila or something like that? So, but at, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, it's not such a big deal. It's more, more issue for them than for you. Okay, fine. So compromise on things that you can, but not things that you can't. Yes? Is it considered a dick to, like, give your parents advice? Not at all, if your parents no. want advice. Unsolicited advice. What if they advice. don't want it? <laughs> Yeah, sometimes it's difficult because sometimes... What do you think they want it? Well, sometimes, <laughs> they want it. sometimes the mitzvah of kavod, meaning you're responsible for your parents, right. is in conflict with the mitzvah of yira. And again, as your parents get older, this case where my grandfather, this case I was talking about before, where he said he didn't want to go into a sheltered accommodation. So this is a true story. My parents put, put my grandparents on a waiting list. And they were on a waiting list for years. And eventually they got to the top of the waiting list. And the people at the nursing home, their sheltered home, rang my grandparents instead of my parents. And they said, oh, we just wanted to let you know that you're now top of the list and you'll be able to move into your new home in a few weeks. And of course my grandfather said, oh, no, take us off the list. We don't need that. That's for old people. <laughs> at least the person had the sense to call my mother and say to her, are we just taking your parents off the list because they've asked to be taken? My mother went nuts. So she has to find a way of telling my grandparents, you're moving into this home, uh, in a way which is respectful. It's right. really hard to do. Right. And, 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 and sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable, there's no question. But ultimately you have to look after them, even if they don't know how to look after themselves. But you have to do it in a way that somehow is play games with it so that they're not, you're not being the parent. You can't be the parent. So you can give your parents advice, but if they choose to ignore it, then there's, there's a limited amount you can do. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Um, I was just going to ask. Um, a lot of the the ones on page three or whatever. Yes. Um. To what obligate like what obligation do you have to Shalom Bayis like when it comes Good. To Good. So we, I never put that on the sheet. There's a lot more details. The Shulchan Aruch specifically deals with this and says that when there's a conflict between your your relationship with your wife or husband and the relationship with your parents, the wife and husband comes first. Again, it's a balance. They can't, you can't ignore your parents entirely. But when push comes to shove, the shalom bias has to come first. And that's an explicit verse in the Torah. It says when Adam was created, it says a person will leave their mother and father and connect with a husband and wife. Okay? Uh, and therefore, that, that, that's critical. But again, sometimes spouses are very unreasonable, and there has to be a give and take there as well. Nobody really... Well, no, I'm not saying nobody. A lot of people have issues with their in-laws. It seems to me that seems to be uh, quite, uh, you know, because one thing with your parents, like you make allowances for your own parents, but her parents, his parents, they're just weird with none of the parent stuff to make allowances for. So it, it becomes difficult, but ultimately the spouse wins. But again, it's not rules. It's not just like a bunch of rules, not like keeping kosher. It's You have to apply very sensitively, yes. Um, two questions. One is, um, why do we, you know, we're saying before when it comes to um, Rabbi Tarfon with the whole yes. split juice situation. Yes. yes. <laughs> I don't understand why we keep on saying like you can't ask someone to change their personality, change their whatever, but like if he was such a humble person, like having someone literally wash his feet and then drink, I mean like. But that's smothered. What? She's not the one. But that's that. but that's that's changing his person. It's like literally taking so much I, beyond glory. That's I mean. No, that's just like literally, it could be a worship at that point. No, like, she's not. She's not committing the the, the uh, sin of, of idol worship. She just wants. She's just weird. And she wants to wash his feet. That's the way that she wants to love him. Okay. She wants to love him. So that's what she wants to do. It, it, it doesn't do anything to him. It's just he just doesn't want his mother to be like. What if he's so? What if he's like that humble and he just doesn't want it? Good. So your humility doesn't come before your parents. But that's changing his personality. No, it's not, because sometimes you have to be prepared to, to give on your humility where you need to. If you're a person who is very important in the community, for example, your humility is not the key thing, because the community needs you to take certain positions of respect. And therefore, humility is, it can be actually a self-indulgence on a certain level. Sometimes you have to give up your humility for things, and for his mother, you have to. Okay. 
and then yes. Yes, I'll take a couple of questions. I'll finish. Yeah. Uh, let me just take another question, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you talked about how you should invest your full efforts in physically caring for the parents. Yes. Does the Gemara discuss whether it's better to personally care for them? Yes, it does. Uh, it does. There's so many more sources than are on. So the Shukhanov rules that you should try and personally care for your parents, but the Shukhanov specifically deals with a situation where the parents are um, actually have Alzheimer's or something like that, or some other very upsetting um, situation. This is not new. It's happened for a long time. And there the Shulchanov says that one should try to deal with one's parents as much as one can personally, up until the point that it becomes so upsetting that it's just not possible to do. And then you need to get someone else to look after them. Um, because there comes a point when you actually end up looking after your parents better by getting somebody else to look after them than if you were to look after them. Especially these days where parents are in their mid-90s and the children are in their mid-70s. The children are not young. The children are old people. And the parents are just very old people, which is a big bracha, it's a big blessing, but it's a big responsibility. And therefore, absolutely, um, you know, you have to, like, I used to live in Harnoff, it's full of Filipinos, like, everywhere, wheeling people around, because, like, some of these Filipinos, I think, have finished the entire Talmud, because they've been sitting at Shiurim, like, they've been listening to all these Shiurim, you know? It's amazing, you know? I asked my Iraqi questions to the local But but yes, there's a lot of people who are because they're very they're very caring, very very obliging and, and uh, very effective at caring for all the people. Yes. Are you allowed to break halacha if you don't want to upset your parents? So that's a different question. What halacha you're keeping depends on your where you're holding in your own personal situation, which is very individual, okay? And nobody's gonna do everything all at once, etc. But your parents shouldn't be the factor there. Shouldn't be the factor. Meaning you have to be where you are because of the growth trajectory that you're on. And if it comes to the point that you, you feel that your parents are holding that back, then 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 they're not allowed to do that. Now you may feel uncomfortable keeping something if that upsets your parents. I understand that because but that's really about you, not about them. So if it's about you, that's a relevant factor. And if you ask any rabbi, a person who doesn't, isn't fully mitzvah observant, and they want to become more so, then every rabbi will tell them to do so at a, a pace which is effective for them. And nobody just does everything tomorrow morning. Nobody does that. Uh, but the parents, the parents' fact is not because the parents, because of you. Meaning if you're saying that, I really want to do this, but my parents just are being like, okay, so the answer is we'll have to find some way of dealing with your parents. But if you're saying, I just can't do this right now because of where I am, because it's just too too traumatic for me. Okay, so that's a different discussion. Because that will be the same about everything. Yeah, because then it's about you, not your parents. It's not that you're being selfish, it's just that your mental observance is very much you. It's not it's not anyone else. Yes. Um, if there's a situation where like one parent is sick or like out of commission and then but then your other parent mm. is still able bodied and able to take care of them, mm. how much responsibility lies mm. on the child versus the spouse because we know that like that's a stronger, well, uh, not stronger, but a, a, a way different relationship between the two spouses and taking care of each other Correct. versus the child and parent. Correct, but the child's responsibility is primary, okay. meaning there is no Torah mitzvah of kavod between the husband and wife. But between the husband and wife, it's more an issue of respect and love and support, things like that. But the, the duties, of course, husbands have duties to their wives and wives have duties to their husbands. But the actual bottom line is it's the kids that have that more. It becomes very difficult in scenarios, by the way, when the parents are asking for conflicting things from the children. And there's really no easy way to balance that if the parents don't like each other or if the parents are separated or if the parents are divorced, which is not an uncommon thing today, then the child is often very conflicted because it, it, it owes the allegiance to both and, and sometimes will you know, find that difficult to do. And there is no easy answer to that. It's, it's, it's that juggling act. You know, taking sides is very difficult because even if you emotionally or psychologically feel this way or the other, you still have an obligation to, you know. Even if, technically speaking, your parents gave you away when you were one week old to the orphanage and said, we don't want you anymore, okay, then that doesn't take away from the fact that on a certain level they brought you into the world and gave you life, and that doesn't relieve you entirely. But again, I'm not getting into specifics. I don't want to keep you late. Um, I'll take two more questions, then I'll end, and I'll be happy to talk to people individually, yes. What if the parents need help, but... They don't want it. Mm. Okay, so you have to respect the parents' right to their own independence to the point when actually your parents are not being looked after properly. And at that point you have to step in, like in the sheltered accommodation situation, and you have to say, look, I'm sorry, you know, you're not wanting it, it's now causing you to be 
come, you know, sick or whatever it is. Your parents, but, but, but it's their choice at the end of the day. You can't force medication into your parents' mouths. They don't want to take it. They have, they have a certain right to, of independence there. But when you realise that they're not able to make decisions really in their own best interest, then that's a, that's a very tricky situation you have to step in. And there's no easy way to do that. There's no easy way to do that. Sometimes you have to take charge of a situation. Um, I've seen people sort of hijack their parents almost and bring them to Israel when they won't come, like you know, kidnapping their parents or something. Like that. Uh, okay, sometimes it's not the right thing to do. Sometimes it is the right thing to do. But um, yes, anyway, I'll finish there because I don't want to keep you late because I'm sure you've got other things to do as well. But I want to thank you very much for coming. This is not an easy topic and needs to be thought through a lot on a personal level. But I've, I've tried to give you some outline guidelines as to how the halacha deals with it. Um, and again, I think it's a good example of a very source-based focused, structured analysis which will hopefully help you in other areas. If you want to speak to me about anything to do with Majesh Rachel or whatever, or anything else, I'm happy to be here. Come up to me afterwards and thank you very much for having me. Eat the rest of the sushi. Sushi always goes, right? And I wish you a lot of success. Thank you very much. Thank you.